Annyeong SAO, welcome to Afternoon of Delight, where Leah, Megan, and Amy, three American romance novelists discussing all things K-romance from a writer's lens. We fangirl over our favorite actors and actresses, talk up our trope addictions, and nerd out on K-drama deep dives. We'll throw in a few K-pop and K-skincare wrecks for good measure, because why not ride the haul you wave all the way to shore? So grab some duck bokeh and listen to your new favorite unease. Hey, everybody. Hello. Hi there. So, how is everyone this week? I turned in a book last week, and so this week I'm great, because I'm, <laughs> I'm not writing like a mad woman. And I'm writing, I'm writing one book and editing another, and it's bonkers, but whatever. I don't. That is hard to do. Yeah, I don't like when that happens, but it happens. So it does. Yeah, there you and go. I handed in a book yesterday and feel like a big monkey's off my back. So thinking of what I want to do next, which is actually pretty fun. Okay, so in this day and age, you know, Zoom meetings. I think everyone at my work is done with them, but the Zoom meetings are not done with us. And so I get pegged a lot in meetings to lead in with an icebreaker of some sort. And I've really like exhausted my stock and I feel like they've gotten a bit tired. But today I thought of one that I thought was pretty good. And I wanted to share my answer with both of you because I think it's applicable for this podcast. But I wanted to ask and get your um, two cents as well. And the question is this. It is, what is something you've changed your mind on in the last six months? Ooh. She didn't tell us this ahead of time, so we have to think now. Yeah. So while you're mulling, I will share mine because I think you'll be surprised. Yeah. And what I have changed my mind on in the last six months is zombies. I think I I don't hate zombie stuff anymore. Why does that make me me laugh? (laughs) That is not what I thought you were going to say. Holy shit. That was funny. That was really funny. Full of surprises. But yes. And so I busted that out in an academic, like a work meeting. And people were like, what? And I'm like, look. (laughs) I'm known for by some friends for not really liking zombies. And I think that, you know, the pandemic's gotten to me and I am up for, you know, apocalyptic zombie stuff now. Not like as my go to, but I'm not like a no for it. So I do want to watch All of Us Are Dead. I enjoyed Happiness, which is not zombie, but zombie adjacent. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think I've turned a corner in zombie watching. That is so funny and also like really makes my day because you know that like the zombie genre is like everything to me it's like one of my favorite things but it makes me so if you feel that way it makes me want you to watch train to busan again yeah and see if you react differently because i still like i still think that's one of the best movies i've ever seen yeah (laughs) right i I think i will like it better this time anyway like across yeah Well, I also think there are a lot of tropes in the zombie genre, and I feel like once you kind of get used to them, then you start to expect them, and you like it when it comes up. Does that make sense? And I feel like when you watch Train to Busan, you maybe weren't, like, aware of those types of tropes because you just hadn't watched them. And you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, I didn't dislike Train to Busan either. I think I was, like, a four out of five on it. It's just it didn't, like, there's parts of it that have, like, stuck with me to this day, um that like I still think about namely right. around the baseball players actually right yeah but um but I think happiness really showed me and this is where I'm excited to look for a zombie I think I've got like a specific zombie thing which is I like mm, like I don't want it to just be like the straight up zombie chasing I don't mind the right. jump scares and stuff but I kind of do like it to be more of like the thinky like what does it look like to 
you know, when the people become scarier than the monsters kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just real I'll just say this. I was going to say this at the end, but I'll say it now. I dropped everything to watch All of Us Are Dead, which is on Netflix. Um, I came out. You're going to be listening to this, obviously, a little bit later. But uh, when we're recording this, it had just come out on Friday. I watched the whole thing over the weekend. I literally could not stop watching. Like, it consumed my life. And I personally loved it. I thought that the relationships among the characters were really interesting. It's not happy. (laughs) Like, I mean, they, to me, the show really went there in a way that I actually liked. And I just, I thought it was fantastic. I really, really enjoyed that drama. I hope they make a season two. And I do think that there's a lot of aspects to that drama that really make you think. And it's not, I mean, the zombie scenes are amazing, but. So yeah, I'm gonna check it out. I'm excited. I want to watch it. We're going to do a pod on it. Like, I'm looking forward to it. Even if my son won't watch it with me and tell me when it's gross and when it's not, I will. I I think you'll. It it is violent, like I've said. Like, you got to go into it knowing it, but I think it's still. There's still enough in it that captures your interest and you aren't just like. It's not just violence, violence, violence. You know what I mean? Right. Um, So, actually, I want to answer this question because I did think of something. So. I would say the last six months, the thing I changed my mind on was cleaning. (laughs) So (laughs) we have talked a lot in this podcast before about how much I hate cleaning, how I have been fired by cleaners. (laughs) Like, I am just, I'm not a good, I'm not a good cleaner. But since we moved, and like, I care a lot about this house, I have been actually like getting in the mood to clean and then if for some reason i feel find myself flagging um i watch episodes of hoarders (laughs) (laughs) for motivation no today for some reason it came up in my recommended and i watched two i watched two episodes of hoarders today and kind of like went off my rocker and went like crazy mad cleaning in our bedroom and I think my husband was, like, really surprised because I'm, like, throwing boxes down the stairs like a mad woman because I was just like, oh, my God, we got to get clean. I can't be a hoarder. Like, <laughs> it's like, I feel like I'm finally seeing the light of, like, the importance of, like, being a good cleaner, you know? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Maybe that's stupid, but no, that is... No, that's not stupid. It's a big change it. in my life, and I feel like it's a change for the better. So, yeah. But do you get excited about how many vacuums you own no i still hate (laughs) vacuums and i still break them amy you and my sister though because my sister tells me every single conversation i have with her which is every day because i talk to my sister every day i'd say 95 percent of the conversation 95 percent of our conversations she says i don't know how you don't have a dyson (laughs) and i have two but I only use one now because since I got the stick vac, I don't use my ball vac anymore because my ball vac is like 20 years old and it still works because the Dyson, you know, the Dyson uh, phrase is doesn't lose suction and it doesn't, but it's heavy <laughs> as fuck. That's a and sexy, that's a sexy tagline. I know. Yes. It doesn't lose, doesn't lose suction. I know. Wait, right. go Dyson. But, uh, but the stick vac, man, it's like five pounds and I yeah do the whole house with that and I freaking love it so but that's not what I, I didn't change my mind like I I will yeah, never change I will never change my mind on vacuums yeah. I love them I love them <laughs> um but I think what I changed my mind on and it may sound a little bit like a broken l- record but it's true 
is I've changed my mind on how I view exercising, working out. I know we talk about Supernatural on here a lot, but like I, I subscribe to Supernatural. It's almost been a year. It was March of 2021 that I found the app and uh, and tried it. it was like, oh, I really enjoy this. And how do you but do I it didn't... just to fill up anyone who's not aware of our Supernatural journey on this podcast? There are people. Oh, yeah. So Supernatural is a virtual reality, a VR workout that we all do on our Oculus headsets. And I really should get some sort of kickback from Oculus and Supernatural because I sold you both mm-hmm. an Oculus and a subscription to Supernatural. Mm-hmm. And I just did for somebody at work, too. I brought my Oculus into work last week and she tried Supernatural at the end of the school day. And it was a Friday and she came, she came in on Tuesday and she had her... She'd bought Oculus and she's on my leaderboard now. And oh my God, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. Aww. So yeah, so it's a VR workout and it is like nothing I've ever done before. And we, we've we talked about it. Like go back and listen to any of our pods in the past, I'd say like three months and we talk a lot about it. But it's not just that it's gamifying working out and making me, you know, tricking me into doing it. Like I've always thought exercising was important and I've always gotten into it and out of it you know, throughout the years. But literally in the past 101 days. Yeah. Um, streak. Yeah, I know. I, I, I just, I have, it's, okay, so maybe it's not exercise, but it is putting aside the time for me to do something good for my body. And mm-hmm. I make sure that I do that for myself every day. No matter if I'm on a deadline, because I have been on crazy deadlines during all this, if I'm sick with a terrible sinus infection, I do a really shitty workout and screw up my algorithms for my scoring, but it doesn't matter because I get back into it. But I just, that has become, like, I don't say no to that, like, 40 minutes of time for me. And for me, that 40 minutes of time for me that I, you know, will not give up is for working out. And and for me, working out right now is supernatural. And I think what I've changed my mind about with all that is letting go of the guilt of what I should be doing instead of that. Just for an example, yes, like my kids, you know, were busy after school and especially my daughter, she does all sorts of theater stuff. And so she was getting home after me yesterday and then she was going to be home for like not even two hours and then she had to go to work and I had to take her to work. And since she was getting a ride home, I said, okay, I will be up in my room doing Supernatural. Come grab me if you need me. Otherwise, I'll be down in time to take you to work. And while I'm doing the working out and I'm getting sort of more energized as I work out, which doesn't happen every day, I was like, oh, man, I could do another playlist. And I look at the clock and I'm like, or I could, you know, go downstairs and spend time with Sydney, who I know is just eating her dinner and doing her homework and watching Gilmore Girls all at the same time. (laughs) And I was like, okay, I could do like one more like six minute playlist and I'm going to do it and I'm not going to feel guilty about it because she was doing her thing after school when she could have been home and with me, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the part of it that I, that I'm changing my mind on is feeling guilty for taking that time for myself. And that time for myself right now has been for exercise. I think that's great. And I, I, I would say like, I second that cause I've had a similar shift. I would say my shift is more like, um, focusing on exercise as just another part of health as opposed to like a vanity thing. And that, again, because I just feel like growing up, we grew up during like the diet fads. Yeah, we're going to talk about that today a little bit. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we 
we grew up with all of that. And so exercise and diets were all based on like how you look rather than, hey, how about you just eat to like fuel your body with nutrients? And how about you just work out to keep your heart healthy, which um, Supernatural has definitely shifted that for me. And it's made me I, I don't like focus on the scale. I focus on like, hey, like how out of breath I am or, you know, yeah, 100%. do I have energy? And yeah. Yeah, I don't need I don't step on the scale ever. For me, it's all yeah. about just how do I how do I feel? Right? Um, and yeah. and just like and and I think the testament to that is like, you know, like you said, like how do you feel with like energy and stuff like that mm-hmm. is I used to really shy away from doing, you know, the higher intensity workouts because I'm just like, well, I can't. Like I'm not I'm not fit enough to do that. And guess what? Like I did one, I did one today. I did a boxing one. I love the boxing on Supernatural. I did a high boxing one that I'd never done before, but I was like, all right, these are all like early 2000s, like punk pop that I like, you know, fallout boy and stuff. And I'm like, I want to do this playlist so bad, but it's a high. And I'm like, I'm just going to do it. And I was huffing and puffing at the end, but like, Mm -hmm. I did an awesome job. Like I didn't, yeah, yeah, I did it. I did it. And I, and I, you know, yeah, I felt really good at the end of it. So yeah, it's also giving me more confidence in in what I can do. Yeah, I think it gives yeah, it gives me confidence in like what my body is like physically capable of and yep. I feel like that's pretty important. So, no, I totally agree with you. I back you up on it. Thanks. So, I mean, I guess speaking of how we're all kind of building each other up and talking about our changes, Today's show is Sisters Before Misters. So we're talking about our favorite female friendships in K-drama. So the Bechdel test first appeared in a comic strip in 1985 and is described as a measure of representation of women in fiction. It asks whether a work features at least two women who talk to each other about something other than a man. I didn't know this when I kind of re- did a little bit of research about the Bechdel test, but Virginia Woolf highlighted this back in 1929 in an essay where she says... Quote, all these relationships between women, I thought, rapidly recalling the splendid gallery of fictitious women, are too simple, and I tried to remember any case in the course of my reading where two women are represented as friends. They are now and then mothers and daughters, but almost without exception, they are shown in their relation to men. It was strange to think that all the great women of fiction were, until Jane Austen's day, not only seen by the other sex, but seen only in relation to the other sex. And how small a part of a woman's life is that? End quote. One of the things I noticed in my first K-drama, Crash Landing on You, was the representation of women as friends and as each other's support network in a community sense, as well as an emotional sense, in a way that I related to, because that's how I relate to my friends. And as my K-drama watching expanded, I found that theme is prevalent in K-dramas, from the Ajumas of Reply 1988 to the neighbors in Fight for My Way. So, what do you all think of the Bechdel test? Do you ever judge your own writing with it? I love that Virginia Woolf references Jane Austen. That made me so happy. <laughs> like, because when I, like, when you when you do think, I mean, I love Jane Austen. I've read a lot of Jane Austen. And when you do go back and look at those books, yes, there is romance in a lot of Jane Austen, but a lot of it is how her heroines relate to everyone around them, including, you know, as as mothers, as daughters, as sisters, as friends. Like one of my favorite Jane Austen stories is Emma. And Emma, while she is trying to be, you know, a matchmaker to a lot of people, it is all about her friendship with Harriet and 
you know, her friendship with the other women in her community and how she treats them and how she views them. And yeah, I think that's great that we have a writer who was doing that so long ago and mm-hmm. putting putting women first. So I like that a lot. And I feel like the way Virginia Woolf phrased it, it makes the Bechdel test, I know there's criticisms of it, but I feel like it made a little bit more sense. It's not basically like, gosh, women should talk about something other than men. It's, you know, can we represent women as themselves and not just in relation to other men, like as someone's wife, as someone's mother or whatever. Right. Because I am aware of it. I do think about it every time I write. It doesn't mean that I'm always worried that, you know, the women on the page are only talking about their relationships to men because I do write romance and that is the story that I'm writing. It is a relationship between a man and a woman because I do write male-female romance. But on the same token, I always have characters who have their own goals and motivation separate from the romance. And so I think that I, I feel safe from, you know, making the woman only exist in relationship, you know, to to the man in the story as well. So, yeah, I do think about it. I'm not, oh, my gosh, I have to look at the scene and make sure that the women are, you know, when they're talking, that they're not talking about just men. Mm -hmm. Um, But it does, like, it pops into my head every now and then, and I'm aware of it. And I think just having that sort of, you know, back of your mind, like, subconscious awareness of it Mm -hmm. is a good thing for a writer who is writing women to just be aware of, you know, making that woman be her own person. That's whether or not you're basing it on the Bechdel test or not. But yeah, I like how you bring it up and how, you know, you brought up the Virginia Woolf quote is that it's just a matter of she is herself as well as all these other things like wife, sister, whatever. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you. It's hard because obviously my books are extremely romance driven and they're also kind of short. And so most of the conversations are inherently going to kind of revolve around the romance but at least the book I'm the books I'm writing now they are interconnected series with a core group of heroines who are friends and again I write I write alien romance so all these women are on another planet uh, they're like the only humans on another planet so obviously they're going to stick together and actually one of my favorite things about writing these books is the friendships that I'm writing among among these women and I really do try to make a point um, to have them support each other I you know they in in all aspects and not just in the romance, but in like their survival and and everything. Because I would say like that does fill my bucket as a writer to kind of use like Leah's phrasing. Um, And I think it feeds readers buckets too. So, and, and I do think even if you're not like, even, or even if you aren't writing like, oh, I have to make sure this conversation doesn't involve a man. I feel like keeping the Bechdel test in the back of your mind makes you remember to give your heroine goals or like a goal motivation conflict that is often outside the romance. Because I feel like romance books are the strongest when you either have their goal butt up against the romance conflict, you know what I mean? That they're like at odds or they actually kind of align and, and that she can, the romance helps her achieve her goal. Right. And I think that like something that like, because I do really appreciate this conversation and thinking about this, and this is not something I think about often when writing or consuming media, um, like overtly. So I think I'll start to think about it more like I knew the Bechdel test, but I kind of like filed it away and forgot about it. But what's also interesting to me and just like thinking about it and reacting to it is like, on one hand, I'm like, yes, absolutely. Because 
and especially I think when you're talking about from the perspective of like an identity based and like how an identity can be tied up into like a man or whatever. But then what I'm also curious about and like, it's not like a rebuttal on it. I haven't unpacked it enough to think about it is what happens when like something like we're doing with this podcast or, you know, conversations that we have with, you know, listeners or things where it's like about like it's about the stories some of it's about kind of like the feeling some of it's about like the like male eye candy and but it's not like about the man being centered mm-hmm. in it it's like our pleasure in the process being centered and so i'm curious like that's where i'm like there's something with the bechdel test that's like imp- like empirically right and there's something where i could see like and i'm not trying to make this like um yeah cis, like cis normative either like you know whatever whatever it is that you're gonna think about yeah whatever you're gonna think about in terms of like a love interest right i mean there's a lot to unpack within that too but anyway i guess i just still want to make a plug that like there is still something i think liberating and centering like your pleasure as long as it's a pleasure no that's a really good point and that's why i said there's something criticisms of the bechdel test and i think those are really valid so i, I do think it's interesting what you're saying because yeah, on one hand, you want to make sure you're giving your female heroine's identity and agency. But on the other hand, I mean, romance in itself is kind of inherently like feminist, uh, because we, you know, yes, there's a man, but we're centering our pleasure within that. Yeah, um, I like that. So I, right? Isn't that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, and I'd say that like, you know, and if I want to like, go more lowbrow, I'd say like, you know, go lowbrow orgasms on female and femme bodies are liberating yeah, yeah. <laughs> cheers <laughs> as, as he takes a drink <laughs> i take a sip of my gin and tonic and that is and i mean i guess that's where it goes beyond to me like the gender Correct. right like it's just like that like that sense of pleasure and what that's tied up into but i think that that's a little bit different than what we're talking about here and without that yeah yeah that because that's not at all what came into my mind like i i am totally there for letting the woman have her pleasure in whatever in whatever way that's going to happen. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all, which I think is probably a, a good point to make. Not probably, but it's a very good point to make. I almost feel like the Bechdel, I, I guess I don't really like having it being called a test. I really think it's maybe like a Bechdel... Oh, I, I feel like know. it's like a scale almost. Like I want to look at it more of like a Kinsey <laughs> yeah. scale yeah. as opposed to, and, or I don't know, something yeah. like that. The test also feels like, I don't know why, but I get the vibe of like a purity test of like how, how like feminist are you by like how much you're, and I get nervous about yes, that. Yes, exactly. Yeah, totally agree. Yes. That you can't, you can't judge it by like how many pages do women not talk about men. Right. I, yeah. And again, I think it's, I think it's kind of your, I like that you say it's a scale and it's something to keep in the back of your head. I think like when you're writing or even if you're consuming entertainment or I guess one thing could be like, could these two women, have you presented these two women in your entertainment with enough goals and personality to have a conversation about something other than the man? Like, have you, have you, have you given them enough roundness and fullness that they could discuss something other than a man? Maybe you don't actually have them do it. But do they know each other well enough? Maybe something yeah, like that. I feel like that. I'm just, yeah. Like, have you given them enough agency and power and personality and depth? And whatever? I'd like to call it the you know? fart jar test. 
Can they? Oh, Scott, I hate you. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> Can these women come together and discuss? Anytime. Can these women fart in a jar without oh, talking about no, a man? Selling. Now we've degraded. Okay, let's get a little personal, but not too personal. So we were friends before this podcast, and we've known each other for close to a decade. So what are some ways that we've supported each other? And, you know, I guess to keep Virginia Woolf happy, no, no men are allowed in this conversation, but like, fuck it. I say we can have it if it's whatever we want. <laughs> no, you can. You can. <laughs> well, first of all, when I read this question, I was like, holy shit, we've known each other for almost a decade. Like, I still... F- I mean, it's true. Like, it, it is. It's 100% true. But like, that blows my mind that we've been doing this for so long because it is the writing that brought us together. And and I think that's first and foremost, like how we came together as friends. So yeah, we've been doing this writing thing for almost 10 years. And that's how we all came together is supporting each other as writers. And that's how we met. I think Megan, you and I became critique partners first. And I always talk about how falling for each other's writing is what made us fall for each other as friends. Oh, so cute. <laughs> and then soon after I, you know, quote unquote, met you on Facebook, I met Leah on Twitter. Like I, I've gone back and actually looked at our our DMing on Twitter. And oh, it's really? So, it, yeah, it's so funny. Like, oh my God. we barely knew oh each other. Yeah, it's because it's still there. <gasps> like, oh, oh, that's so I'm weird. Scared. I'm scared to look. No. I w- <laughs> God, what did I say is like, baby, <laughs> baby Megan. Oh my gosh. But like the same thing happened. Like we read each other's writing and knew that we'd click, which I think is very, especially when we were all like baby writers. But beyond that, I know for me personally that I've traveled to New Orleans, Georgia, Washington, D.C., New York City, San Diego, all under the pretense of furthering my writing career by networking at conferences, but really spent all that money on travel to see you two and our other writer friends. Like, I am so grateful that I get to see you two every Wednesday night to record the pod, but being in the same room with you even if you have pink eye and a sinus infection, Megan, or Leah, <laughs> even if it means training to the city for just a few hours to go to the Art Institute and eat Auntie Anne's pretzels <laughs> in an underground metro station, like, it's being with friends. It feels like a be- being with friends that I've known my whole life. Like, I know I talk about, like, I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's been a decade. Like, a decade is long. But I feel like we've known each other for much longer than that. And mm-hmm. also Leah supports us by sending us Korean food and Megan supports us by sending us tunnel of love, Captain reprints. And the mention of Captain Reed does not count as mentioning a man because he is not a real man in our lives, even if we wish that he was. <laughs> but like Leah said, like, fuck it. It's our podcast. It's our rules. We can do what we want. And we're here to talk about K-dramas. But honestly, you know, we're talking about sisters before misters and I don't have a sister. I know Leah, you have two. And I really feel like if I had sisters, it would be people like you. So <laughs> I agree. I also do not have a sister. I just have one big brother. And I, I kind of always wanted a sister. But but I also like being the baby of the family. So that's okay. <laughs> um, also, Captain Ree is like comfort food at this point. So he doesn't even count as like mentioning a man. He's just comfort food. I've been really into watching clips of Crash Landing on You again. I'm just really... I don't know. I'm just really into reminiscing about it and remembering scenes that I forgot. I'm just, uh, I, I need to rewatch like soon. But um, so the thing with authoring and writing is that it is a pretty solitary endeavor. Like no one is with you when you're grinding out words and no one can read into your head and like see your ideas 
to help you form them into a story like it's just you you know so making writer friends and support like all other aspects of the publish publishing industry is so key um i remember reading amy's first book when i was breastfeeding my daughter <laughs> like she's almost i remember that you were i remember you were writing with like her sleeping yeah. on your chest yeah because like... she yeah and so she's almost nine uh now so and I, and I remember I would like wait for hate. I wouldn't, I would, you know, nurse her and wait for her to fall asleep. And then I'd like get on my computer because I didn't have a smartphone then. Oh my God, I can't believe it. <laughs> so I'd have to like run to my computer. I didn't either. <laughs> no, I, didn't I, didn't, have, I don't think I did either. I didn't have a smartphone then. Anyway, um, I had to run to tell Amy how much I loved her book. So, you know, we've all been through a lot over the years, you know, babies, divorces, professional heart, heartbreak, professional successes, bearded dragon ownership, and lice <laughs> outbreaks. And, a lot of that's a lot of that's Megan. Yeah, yeah, it is. And so I know I can come to you guys with publishing issues as well as parenting issues, and that's you know why you're so important to me. So now, if we could only get our other friend Natalie to watch K dramas, it would be perfect. <laughs> so yeah, I felt like I met you both a little later. Like you'd already like formed a friendship with Natalie, who you just mentioned, and I felt like I kind of like hulk smashed into that friendship a bit <laughs> but like i remember you both invited me into like being part of your group text chat and it felt so happy because at the time like writing is a pretty solitary process and i am an extrovert and even though i'm probably like the most introverted extrovert <laughs> i get energized from other people so being able to chat and share things about story and craft was really great and then there was like the whole getting to write gossip on the writing process because it is a small world and you know let's be real we like to talk about each other's business <laughs> and then it was like talking about life and love and publishing wins and then look I remember when I found out I was pregnant with Poppy. <laughs> and so that's my now six-year-old. It was not planned. I had three books that were due within the next nine months. And I was fully in like my middle child now, who I thought was my youngest, was had gone to kindergarten. <laughs> and I was like, it is now time to like do the grind. Like I'm right. ready to grind out and like build this writing business up. Right. And so I'd like hustled. I'd gotten contracts. I was like, let's do this. And then, you know, one day when I was doing my calendar and like ripping the things off, I was like, huh, weird that like my cycle's way, way off. And my first thought was literally, I think I have some sort of like ovarian tumor situation. And I <laughs> called God. my sister because I have sisters and mm. was like, I think there's something wrong. I haven't had my period in three months. And she goes, yeah, what's probably wrong is there's a baby living in your uterus. <laughs> and I was like, no, there's no baby in here. My baby days are done. I'm 35. I'm baby out. It was a baby. <laughs> there was a baby. So I remember I was so panicked. I went, I threw, I had both my kids home from school. Like they were in kindergarten, first grade. They were eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches at the kitchen table as I was having this conversation. I remember I was like, get in the car. We drove to CVS while they still had their peanut butter and jelly. I bought the pregnancy test. I came home, ripped one open with like my teeth, <laughs> peed on it, and it lit up in like, Point mm, two seconds. They're like, "You're pregnant, bitch." It's been yeah. three months. Like I was still, pee I was still peeing on the stick, and it lit up. And I just remember being like, "Fuck!" And I remember somehow I ended up at Jamba Juice. I don't know what. I was in a fever dream, fever and so 
<laughs> but I remember being at Jamba Juice and Megan, I remember like, because look, this is the thing. And I want to say that like I love my child and she was a wanted child in the end. Like right. I committed and I'm happy I had her. Right. But in that first couple of like finding out, I wasn't feeling it. And I'm just going to be honest. Like, You're I was allowed just, like, to be it was, panicked. And it's like, not where my head was. And I did not feel great joy. I felt great like terror and overwhelm. And I felt like you really gave me permission to be like, this doesn't have to feel like happy news right now. And that's always just meant a great deal to me was that I didn't have to pretend like I found out I was pregnant. And that meant immediately everything was going to feel wonderful because it really didn't. And so thank you. I don't know if I've ever like expressed that appreciation before. So I want to do it now that I really like that meant a lot. And so thank you. And I told all I told all of you before I even told my husband. <laughs> <laughs> like, look, I'm always going to be there for people who are just like, want to have an emotional release. Like, no matter what it is, like, you got to just feel the way you're feeling. I don't like people telling me how to feel. So I'm like, you know, just let it out. Whatever it is, just feel the way you need to feel about a situation, you know? Right. Your feelings are valid because they're yours. Yeah. Like it doesn't, you're not supposed to feel a certain way. You feel how you feel. It's true. But there is a lot of shaming that can happen around like somebody being like, I'm not sure, especially like being a mother already being like, I'm not sure I'm ready to be like a mom, even more mom squared, mom triangled. Like, I'm not sure about that. (laughs) Square root of mom. (laughs) And this so, like not, I said, we do not, we do not know math here. We don't know <laughs> numbers here. <laughs> I can't tell you how happy I am that this happened, and that, like, looking back now, like, you know, happenstance, and like, thing. I don't think everything happens for a reason, but I am truly, like, you know, my little baby is like my little baby, and it's mm-hmm. all good. But yeah, I also feel like you know, this is actually something that'll make me a better mom too. Someday is like when things happen to like the girls over time, like if they ever have a moment where they're like, look, maybe I feel like I'm meant to feel a certain way and I'm just not feeling it, Mm -hmm. that I can be like, it's okay. Because like Megan says, I'm not fucking feeling it, okay? Yeah. (laughs) And like sometimes you just got to like work through things. Like I feel like you needed to feel that genuine emotion first before you can then feel anything else. Does that, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if you would, maybe you would never, maybe you would still not feel right if you couldn't be that honest with yourself. In the first. Right. And I knew what was coming for me. And I knew what was coming for me was like vomiting while know, writing, right? which, which was, which happened. I knew that it was like, just like, I, I knew what was happening. Like, I, I knew it all. I was like, this is why I can't, like, I know, I know the drill. Oh, the worst. Okay. So anyway, moving on. Yeah. <laughs> um, what are the characteristics of a female friendship that you want to see in your K-dramas? Really badly permed wigs <laughs> <laughs> and roasted sweet potatoes. Okay, but for real, I want what the Ajumas in Reply 1988 have. Friends who are always there for you with food, a shoulder to cry or laugh on, and advice on how to parent your teenage children. I would 100% be down for communal living where our doors are always open to each other, literally and figuratively. Female friendships and K-dramas aren't really friendships at all. They're sisterhoods, which is, you know, hello, the title of our podcast today. They're family, and I just freaking love that, and I envy that because I don't, you know, we don't live like that in the in the United States. We don't leave our doors open and pop in and out of each other's houses and I don't know. There's just something really endearing and really lovely about that that I just totally enjoyed. And of course, I just finished watching Replies. So this is fresh in my head right now. 
Yeah, I mean, 100% on calling them a sisterhood. That's what stands out to me and my favorite K-drama female friendships. The scenes where the Ajumas of Reply 1988 supported each other from everything to like slacking husbands to parenting to money issues to menopause was really heartwarming to me. One thing about female friendships is that I think we often inherently know when one of us just wants to vent. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. we don't need solutions, okay? We don't need anyone to solve a problem. We don't want a devil's advocate, like, just let me whine and back me up and validate my feelings. And I sometimes I just feel like when it comes to these friendships, that is, uh, that's just an instinct. Yes. And I echoing again, like the, um, the Ajumas of Reply 1988 and like going off of what you're just saying, Megan. Yes. And I think that like what was relatable for me in their relationships was their friendships were where they went to vent and to have those kind of conversations. And I feel like that's very relatable to how I guess I live. Like I have my husband like fulfills like one, you know, bucket in my life. Um, and I felt like in many cases, that's like how their relationships were too. Like they had like their partners that they, you know, went to for some things or caused them grief sometimes. <laughs> but then like your friendships are where you go to like process and vent. Not that like I never do that in my relationship, but it's not the same as when I'm talking to my actual sisters or like my friendship sisterhood. So are female friendships important to you in the media you consume? We all have daughters. So from that lens, do we feel differently about this than we used to? I absolutely want to see positive portrayals of female relationships in books, television, movies, etc. And I don't think I got it, though, that I wanted that, that that was important until I became a mom. Because... The media I grew up with was so full of slut shaming, which permeated real life as well, especially in my teen years. You know, I, I think of like, I, I'm a child of the 80s and, you know, all of my John Hughes movies that I loved um, and, and some that I still do, but they don't hold up because of this way that we treated women and that we shamed women. And now with a teenage daughter, I want her to see positive female relationships emulated in the media she consumes so that she hopefully emulates that in her own life and knows that if she's not treated well by other females, that she deserves better. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, I look at, back at so many 90s and early 2000s teen movies, and they are so, so ripe with slut shaming and like really damaging female stereotypes. Mm -hmm. And I think it honestly has taken me years to break down my own internal misogyny just based on the amount of media I consumed when I was a teenager. And so I want my daughter to see positive friendships that aren't toxic or about competition. And I think it's important for her to not only see women in like physically capable roles, like female superheroes, but also in quiet roles where they are allowed to be smart and kind and, and care about their friends. Like, I don't think she needs to see like Black Widow all the time. You know what I mean? Like, let's right. all, let's have fun superheroes, but then let's also have, you know, relatable teen right. idols, I guess. But also Black Widow's awesome. But also, yeah, of course. And like Wonder <laughs> Woman. She's great. It is. And I think like for me, yeah, I mean, really echoing that, you know, those like 90s and early 2000s, just like a mess of slut shaming. I tried to watch um, Mean Girls recently because I was thinking like, oh, it like became a popular Broadway, whatever. Let's like pop on some Mean Girls. And I was like, 
holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, we got to get this off now. Like, I couldn't have, like, hit off fast enough. Like, just, like, the amount of slut-shaming was, like, so intense. So one series that was really beloved to me growing up, and it does have a romance in it that I think is awesome, is the Anna Green Gables series. So I was a huge Ella Montgomery, Anna Green Gables dork and read those books, ragged, you know, wore out copies literally because I loved them so much. And yes, I was all in on the Anne and Gilbert love affair. But I also really loved Anne's friendships with all sorts of people. So she had like Diana, who was her bosom dearest friend. And she talked about this idea of kindred spirits a lot. And I just remember always being like, I want kindred spirits too. And it sounded really special and really great. And now there's Anne with an E and I have mixed feelings. I've watched it on Netflix alone without my family. And it does take liberties with the books But it is interesting what they did with it. Like, at first, I was really jarred and not a big fan. But I think having had some reflection, I can see why they did some of the things they did. And even if it's not an accurate retelling across the board, I thought that it dealt a little bit more with, like, Anne's trauma of being an orphan at, like, you know, not, you know, growing up in an institutionalized setting and things like that. Um, And I'd like to try watching that with with especially my older daughter, because I do think that it has some, um, again, good representation of just good female friendships. I want to really quickly back up a second to Mean Girls, because it's funny that you brought that up, because while you were talking before you even mentioned Mean Girls, I started singing a song in my head from the Mean Girls musical, because it has been updated into a musical that my daughter and I saw. Um, And before we saw the musical, I'm like, well, you have to see the movie to see what this is based on. And yes, the movie does not (laughs) hold up well, but I think they did some good updates for it for the time for the musical. And the song that I started singing in my head is the song that if you know the characters in Mean Mean Girls, the movie, it's the same names and it's Janice and it's the one who befriends Katie. um, And then Katie kind of turns on her when she turns into a mean girl. And there's this song that Janice has towards the end that's called I'd I'd rather be me, I think. It's either called I'd rather be me or be with you. But the whole, the refrain of the song is I'd rather be me than be with you. And it's, she's singing it to the other girl because it's like, I'm not going to pretend to be somebody I'm not for you to like me kind of thing. So Mm -hmm. I, that's just going into like, I, they brought, they brought it into the 21st century and it was a really good musical. And that was funny enough, the last live, like, Broadway and Chicago musical that we saw before the pandemic hit. And now we are going to New York in two weeks and we're going to see Hades Town. And I'm so excited. And that's a total non sequitur, but I had to throw that in. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> so let's get the bad out of the way first. What's a K drama that was heavily lacking in female friendships in a way that felt unnatural? As in, the lack of female friendships was just like never explained, but the heroine didn't have any female friends in her corner. So I couldn't, there wasn't one that popped into my head where it didn't feel explained to me. Like there are some dramas where there was a female who was sort of a loner, but you kind of understood why, like you and Sari in Crash Landing on You, like she kind of distanced herself from people because of, you know, emotional wounds or Go Moon Young in It's Okay Not to Be Okay. And I kind of understood why those women didn't have other women in their corner at first, Like, it made sense. But what really stood out to me was a more toxic friendship that kind of harkens back to the stuff that we're talking about that we saw in the early 2000s or even back, you know, in in our 80s John Hughes movies 
Um, and that's my love from the star because there's a super toxic friendship in this one between Song Yi, who's played by Jun Ji Hyun, and Seimi, played by Yuen Na. And it's a an example of these two women who were friends since middle school, yet that friendship was never really real. And this is not a huge spoiler for the drama because really all that we see in this drama is fem- females competing with each other. Um, so I won't be too spoilery, but it's a long-standing friendship from childhood. It was always kind of a farce because Sami, who was you and I, was always envious of so many things that Sung Yi had that she thought Sung Yi didn't either appreciate or deserve. And ultimately, it's a man at the center of all the toxicity. Sung Yi is also portrayed to have a rivalry with another actress, since she plays a K-drama star in the drama, that is so ugly and petty and ends with the actress getting murdered. This is at the beginning of the drama, oh, so yeah. it's also not a spoiler. I forgot about her. Um, yeah, ends with the actress getting murdered, um, and there's that's a whole, you know, is, is Song Yi a murderer subplot going on there? <laughs> it, ultimately, the only people in Song Yi's life who are truly there for her, who aren't related to her like her mother, are men. And that was really interesting to me, even though I loved, you know, Kim Soo Hyun as our boomer alien and Park Hae Jin as you know, the best second male lead or one of the best second male leads to ever second male lead that all she had in her corner were men. Like she had her brother too. Like she had a wonderful brother, but it was like all men that were kind of like coming to her rescue all the time. Right. And, and the only female relationships that were there were super toxic except for her mother. I thought her relationship with her mother wasn't, remember that wasn't that great. either. It got better. It got better. It did. It, did, it got as she was as she was ostracized from the K drama community. She only had her mother oh, right, left, right, and then right. her mother was kind of there for her. But yeah, at first her mother was not that great. Yeah, either. yeah, I'd forgotten about that. But it, yeah, it was it was all this competition between women, and it was like that was the only way that women existed in this drama was to compete with each other, and that that has stood out to me. Even though I love that drama, you know, when I look back at it now, I'm like, wow, there was no positive female relationships going on in that drama. Yeah. Okay, that's a, that's a good one. I agree. I kind of had forgotten about that whole how yeah, she didn't have anyone in her corner. No, no good female friendships there. I will say I did find it odd that Gia and Tale of the Ninetale didn't have any friends, and I realized that that was like the least of that drama's problems. But it always struck me as odd that she had no one, and it wasn't like she had a job where she kept to herself. Like she had a job where she was out in public a lot. She had a lot of coworkers. She was socially adept. Give Gia a friend. Yeah, that was really weird. Yeah. It was really and I like I can't believe that one didn't pop into my head and I think it's because of like all the other things that are like WTF in that drama for me. Yeah. But So yeah, Megan, I'm shook, right? Like <laughs> give Gia a fucking friend on this earth. <laughs> She's raised herself and paid her taxes. What else is there? Yeah. But for me, like what about Sunny and Goblin? She's so cool. How does she have no friends? She's like works at a she just runs her chicken shop. And just, I don't know. I <laughs> and don't eats get it. radishes and stares yeah. out the window. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it makes no sense. Like, her literal, like, that's what she does in the drama. And then what? She makes friends with Untek, but like. Right. Get- and they're like a good, and to me, that's a friendship that I talk about later, but like, right, they're all that each other has. They, right. And I mean, like, the have. setup is meant to be that, like, it's kind of an unne relationship for Untek right. to have Sunny. So Sunny's somehow been on this earth without friends eating her radishes, being cool as shit, and utterly alone. So I do side-eye that. And um, also just like a bit of a side-eye at Cha Sung-wha, who has these amazing, this found family of these like four great guys. 
and she, she, you know, she's friendly with women at work, but she's not like pals. Like she doesn't have like a good girlfriend. And I'm like, how? And how do you like go through your life with no one to talk about Ikjun with ever? Right? Like, no, not cool. All right. So now it's time for one of our favorite parts of every episode. It is our mid-show K-pop wreck of the week. What do you have for us this week, Megan? So this week I am going to recommend Step Back by Girls on Top. So Girls on Top is a band that is essentially kind of taking some of the best performers from SM Entertainment and putting them in one group. So if you're familiar with Super M, which was SM Entertainment's kind of like super male group. So it's, you know, taking uh, different performers from different groups and putting them into one. So Girls on Top is essentially the female version of that. So I guess I kind of thought it was fitting for this podcast. And Step Back is super fun. The women look amazing in their outfits. It's kind of like a powerful song. And yeah, so I recommend Step Back by Girls on Top. If you enjoy our podcast, you have our patrons to thank. At least in part. Afternoon of Delight Patreon allows us to keep creating content for y'all to enjoy. Thank you so much to everyone who is supporting us there. And not to brag, but our Patreon community is pretty awesome. And you can join at a tier that feels good to you. Gain access to fun perks like K-drama posts, monthly Patreon-only bonus podcasts, and even a live K-drama support group on Zoom because we know firsthand what it's like to have no one to talk to about those crazy plot twists, amazing characters, and all those feelings. And look, no one should have to walk that walk alone. So learn more by visiting afternoonadelight.com. That's www.afternoonadelight.com. And hey, while you're on the website, you can check out Afternoona Delight podcast merch, find links to book recommendations, bop along to our K-pop recs, Blow up your skin with K Merch Rex. Find all of our social media and a link to our email so you can send us recommendations or feedback. And hey, while you're at it, why don't you pop over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five star review? It really helps with our discoverability. Gamsamnida. Okay, so let's get into our favorites. So this is where we get to talk about all our favorite friendships. So what is our favorite group of female friends in a K-drama? I mean, I feel like I've already mentioned my two faves, and that's the Ajumas of Crash Landing on You and the Ajumas of Reply 1988. An honorable mention to the apartment watch ladies of Mad for Each Other. <laughs> they were funny. So I love the crew from Into the Ring. They were so unique in that they all had kind of like special talents in the friendship. Kwon Yibu Young and Jong Han Bi were ride or die helping Kusei Ra get elected to her city council. They were really a tight-knit team. I mean, they were out there with their outfits and their songs and their, you know, everything. I also should mention Kwon Woo Young was played by Kim Mi So, who passed away earlier this mm. month, which is incredibly sad. She was only 30. Oh, what happened? I actually I missed that. Don't know what happened. I don't think they released. I don't think they released it. Oh, okay. She was just in Snowdrop. Like, yeah. Yeah. So that was her like last. Yeah. And I'm also going to give an honorable mention to the friends in Go Back Couple. Like Jinju would have taken Bo Rum's secret to the grave on why she broke up with her boyfriend. Yes. (laughs) So for me, 
Mellow is my nature or be melodramatic, I think has my favorite girl gang that I've seen in a K-drama yet. But you both haven't seen it. So I don't really want to unpack it too much right now. But I really loved it. And then also a shout out to When the Camellia Blooms, because even though those friendships were complicated, and I think it started a lot with, you know, we had an ostracized female who, you know, was not embraced as much by her community. I liked when they pivot to I like it was like a enemies to lovers among female friends where, you know, at first she was the threat for being the beautiful, mysterious, you know, new coming single mom who owns the bar that the men go to and the women all kind of like side eyeing it. And in the end, I just like that, you know, when they like really were like out in their neon aerobic wear ready to kick some ass <laughs> and protect her. I love that. So and then also Chuchu and Gayol from Hospital Playlist. They just had such a like normal friendship that I felt like just was very relatable and it wasn't played for big laughs or anything. I just felt like their friendship was much like friendships I experienced kind of in my day to day, which is they would check in on each other. There were times where a guy was like, yo, that foundation is intense. <laughs> Scale that eye makeup down just a little bit, homie. Yeah. And um, <laughs> but overall, I just thought that like, yeah, they had a really sweet and lovely friendship. I agree. I kind of forgot about those. Those were, they were really sweet. So we asked this question in our Patreon. So I want to read a couple of the comments, mainly because some friendships and dramas were mentioned that the three of us haven't watched. So I thought it'd be cool to let our patrons talk about that. Okay, so Aaron said, Our beloved summers, Yoon Soo and Sol Yi from Our Beloved Summer. Sol Yi provided that constant friendship that Yoon Soo needed. Also, the two brief friendship that forms between Se Byok and Ji Young in Squid Game, which we kind of mentioned that. It was bittersweet, but a highlight, which I agree. <laughs> Melanie said, Even more than enemies to lovers, my cat is enemies to friends, which I think K-dramas really do. I love those turnarounds. Bong Hee just declaring that she's moving in with her ex's replacement girlfriend. And I totally forgot about that. Remember Bong Hee just like crashed yes. her? <laughs> that was really good. Oh, Lee said, my absolute favorite barely counts, but Shim Chung, played by Jun Ji Hun, and the homeless woman, played by Jin Kyung Hong, in yes. Legend... Yes, oh, this is so good, <laughs> yes. In Legend of the Blue Sea, they were absolutely free from all judgment with each other on top of being hilarious. I forget about that drama because we haven't done that. You guys haven't watched it, but so I haven't, I haven't talked to anybody about that drama. But that is such a fun, fun, like, hilarious friendship. Yeah. And Sarah said, the girlfriend's in Because This Is My First Life. And she says, also, towards the end of Mr. Queen, it's, you know, the Mr. Queen, Court Lady Choi, and her maid. And I agree. Those three, like, rebels. <laughs> that was a really, really great friendship. So I also second that. Mama. Mama. Um, we also have <laughs> Lorna said, the friendships in Weightlifting Fairy. It looks like they're, they call themselves the swag team or something. So, which we still need to watch, but yeah. And all the many scenes of the court ladies in red sleeve. So that comment is by Lorna. So, all right. Thank you very much to our Patreons for lending their favorite friendships so that we can also celebrate them. So what are your favorite female besties in K-dramas? So just two. I'm going to bring up, too, that, that Leah brought up. Sunny and Jiyun Tak don't have friends. 
in the beginning of the drama and it is setting them up so that they can have this sort of sisterly bond. And I love that they started out as employer and part-timer and that their friendship grew to something much deeper. And I'm not going to spoil because this is Goblin and you can't talk about Goblin. (laughs) But if you've watched Goblin, then you know. But also, if you've watched Goblin, you also know this friendship parallels Untak and Kimshin's romance in that it is quote-unquote sad love. But it's done, I think, beautifully. And it is this sort of sisterhood that I think both of them needed. They didn't have family in their life. I don't know who Sunny had at all. Like I don't know if she had parents who birthed her or if she was just dropped off by the store. I'm not sure. She's Gia. She's Gia. Yeah, right. She's Gia. She's Gia. She's Gia. But, it's, I, but I feel like she was birthed like fully like adult Sunny. Right. Like, she was never shit. a baby. Yeah. She was never she, a baby. She did not go through puberty. She just always looked like that. <laughs> but I did love that friendship. I did. You know what? I actually forgot, uh, just until you mentioned it now, I kind of forgot how, like, that friendship progressed. And I do have to admit that that was a tearjerker for me. It was lovely. I really, really loved how they took that friendship and what those two did for each other towards the end. Um, So I'm going to mention Hai Jin and Mi Sun from Hometown Cha Cha Cha. That's the friendship I want. Mi Sun freaking moves with Hai Jin to Gong Jin (laughs) to support her. They work together. Hyjin lets Misun be late to work when she's on the toilet again, because that woman was literally <laughs> always on the toilet with stomach issues, like, in the morning. Uh, they support each other in their romances, in their careers, and there are many times that they put each other first. I mean, they're, they were goals, honestly. And then for me, I think that one of my favorite, I mean, I really liked the hometown cha-cha-cha friendship, but also I love uh, Duck Mi and Soundju from uh, Her Private Life. I thought that those two were just really great. I loved their relationship in the coffee shops. I loved her supporting Soundju through her trials and tribulations as a parent and as a, a wife. And so again, like here's like that Bechdel test of, you know, yes, they talked about other things. They talked about their fandom, which also then tied into like a dude, I guess, because it was a Korean boy band. But like, this is where I'm like, you know what? Yes. And... It wasn't like they just sat around with like their identities wrapped up in these roles. And so I think this is where like Bechdel test does like give me these like feelings because yes, they were both obsessed with their boy band fandom, but like some people are into like K-pop for, you know, having big crushes and sexualization and like, okay, whatever. I'm not going to get into like debating the like ins and outs of this, but theirs was like a very much like a, Yes, her house was full of cardboard cutouts of her idol, and she would sit there and go, cute, <laughs> but <laughs> it was, like, sweet. It wasn't, right. right, gross. So anyway, just a, like, shout out to, like, again, the Bechdel test not really hitting all my buttons yeah. sometimes. I feel like for her, too, that was more of, like, a hobby, and her friend was just, like, supporting yeah. her hobby. You know? No, she was a big fan. She was a huge oh, yeah. fan in the right. Too. True. She, she was. Too. She like they'd been in it together. It's just now she was like a parent and a, like you right. know like her fangirl days had been like superseded. So she was like living her best life basically through Duck Me still yeah. running to the airport and taking <laughs> the photos. They were ride or die too. They, they were, were very ride or die. And I, I loved mentioned it. them a little bit later in our conversation. Oh, okay, actually, they were great. <laughs> I love them. Um. So, what is a female friend conversation that doesn't mention a man? So I'm going to go back to my favorite besties. So a lot of conversations between Haijin and Misun and Hometown Cha 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 did center around Do Sick because, well, there wasn't like a whole lot else to do. 
in Ganjin, and also like, how could you not talk about Dusik? But that's beside the point. For those of you who haven't seen Hometown Cha Cha Cha, the heroine Haijin is a dentist, and her bestie Misun acts as her receptionist, as well as an assistant, kind of like a dental hygienist, like the woman just did everything. <laughs> so this is a very minor spoiler. It's really not a huge part of, of the drama. But basically, Misun is sexually harassed by a patient, and she avoids telling Haijin because she's worried about it affecting Haijin's practice, like word would spread and, and everything. But when Haijin finds out, she beats up the guy and basically gets arrested. And while Haijin is behind bars at the police station, Misun like shows up and visits her. And like, while yes, you know, like a man is the catalyst for the whole scene, the two women share this like tearful moment where Haijin says like, we're best friends. You should have told me. Like, what's important is each other, not the practice. And then kind of what got me was she kind of, she like reached through the bars and touched her friend and said, you must have been so scared and I'm sorry. And I guess for me, that like validation of Misun's feelings as a victim just like brought me to tears. Like I, I just adored them so much. They just supported each other. That is an awesome scene. Yeah, and sometimes, like, you just want some someone to validate your feelings. Like, you know, and I just love that that was the dialogue in that scene. So, favorite female friendship conversation that does mention a man. Hey, we are romance writers, after all. And like I said, I was going to bring up her private life with this, because it is. It's Duck Me, who's Park Min Young, and um, her BFF, Sunju, played by Park Jinju, and they would... I love when her friend would complain about her husband and encourage Duck Me to just stick to fangirling. Like, there's a funny conversation they have where Sanju basically tells her to ignore men in real life and just <laughs> stick to fangirling because it's a lot safer, it's a lot less hassle. And I mean, she really, she loves her husband and she loves her, you know, she loves being a mom. But it is just funny to see, like, the duality of their lifestyles with you know, Duck Me still being, you know, single and like Leah said earlier, able to actually like, you know, dress in her fangirl, you know, all black with her mask <laughs> and her baseball hat I love it. and her like telephoto lens on her camera and go to the airport to take pictures of her idol. And so I just I love that. Like, yeah, her friends just always like, just keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> You'll be much happier. She had like basically a healer outfit for her like fangirl. Yes. So great. Yep. Yes. For me, I don't know if this is like, this isn't like the greatest moment in all history, but it just was something really fun and sweet to me mm-hmm. was I loved the reply 1988 teens as well. So duck me and her, you know, school buddies. And there was one scene that just felt very familiar to me <laughs> of like just a throwback to like times I had, you know, in my own high school times. And it's when they're all at McDonald's and they basically want a boy to come buy them burgers. And so they <laughs> they lean on Duck Sun to call one of her guys because, you know, Duck Sun rolls with four boys. She and rolls with four boys. <laughs> one, one particularly handsome young specimen actually turns up to buy burgers, thinking that he, he's getting invited because he secretly likes her on a one-on-one burger eating time and then shows up just to find out not. that. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, the girls are so funny because, like, they all order from him. And then he's going up to pay and they're all like, oh, he is so into you. (laughs) And I just feel like those were such fun. 
you know, like kind of uh, sometimes, you know, I do have, I don't want to go back in time, but I have that nostalgia for when like, you know, my life was pretty simple and a lot of it was just being boy crazy. And Mm -hmm. that was so fun. It was so fun. It was fun. I completely agree with you. I felt nostalgic about that scene too. Like I was like, oh my God, I still remember like being like, oh, he has a crush on you or no, he does. I don't know. I loved it. It was so good. It was so cute. Um, so who are two female leads from different dramas who you think would make great besties? Okay, so I'm not 100% doing the assignment, and I'm picking some female, like, side characters for this because I'd love to see Kim Mi-kyung as our favorite Ajuma from Healer, Jo Min-ja, get to hang out with Kim Sun-young as her character from Crash Landing on You, now Bolsuk. They both have super strong personalities that will clash at times. But I think hearing them lovingly argue with each other and then sit back and laugh it off over a roasted sweet potato or a giant roll of uncut kimbap would be pretty fantastic. I love that. Um, So I know I've mentioned these two before, but I really, really need to see Bong Hee from Suspicious Partner team up with Kusei Ra from Into the Ring. Like, I, I honestly need it for my soul. Both are super tenacious, smart, have great hair, and wear pantsuits. So <laughs> Kusei Ra would find the causes to champion for the little people, and lawyer Bong Hee would back her up with the law. They would be unstoppable, I'm telling you. Throw in Choi A. Ra from Fight For My Way as an Ooh. anchor to bring media attention to their plights, and I'm pretty sure they'd solve world hunger. I love that. <laughs> Absolutely. And for me, I really think that a friendship that would be really fun would be Duck Sun and Young Shin. So Duck Sun from Reply 1988 and Young Shin from Healer. Oh, yes, they would. I love that. So fun. Yeah. yeah, they both have like slightly chaotic energy. They both love music, dancing, singing. I just think that they would just have so much fun together. Oh, my God. They would be the most chaotic duo, and I would love it. We got to write some... Some instead of like a second male lead SOS, we gotta like write like a friendship BFF. Actually, ship that would be really SOS. fun. I would love to do. Oh that. my god, I would write Bonghi and Sarah. Oh my god, okay, I, would, I think yeah. you're onto something. We I think do you this. are, Amy, because that would be that would be so much fun. I just gave myself homework. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so, what are we all watching? So, I just finished Reply 1988, Woo-hoo! and oh my gosh. My heart is still healing from finishing that drama. It took me a long time to get through it because, you know, life and because it was a super long, you know, probably like 40-hour drama, but it was well worth the time spent, and I that drama will live in my heart for a really, really long time. And so as a little palate cleanser right now, I, I watched the first half already, and I'll probably finish it tonight. I'm watching on YouTube Seven First Kisses. Which is like the miniest of miniseries. Like it's like seven episodes and it's like 90 minutes total. And it is basically one big long commercial for the Lot Duty Free Store. But it's well worth your time. So it's basically about this woman, uh, Min Soo Jin, who is 25 years old. It's her birthday. She works like at the information counter at the department store. And it's her birthday. Nobody knows it. And she's never been kissed. And she happens to help out this fairy godmother who lost her card that would, if she lost this card, she couldn't get back into fairyland. And so she's like, I want to repay you. I want to repay you. I know that you want to be kissed. And she's like, how do you know that? So long story short is these 
seven cards appear on the desk in front of our heroine and they all have question marks. And then all of a sudden, in the very, the very first one, Lee Jun Gi walks up to the desk and he's himself. She's like, Oh my gosh, Lee Jun Gi, the actor's here. What am I going to do? And the other two women who work at the desk with her, who are like super catty and always like gossiping and stuff, they're like, No, that's Lee Jun Gi, like our boss. Like, that's not, what do you mean actor? Like, he's the CEO or something like that. And so basically, like, there's all these actors like Lee Joon-gi and Park Hae-jin and what? Lee jong really? suk and Lee Min-ho, <gasps> um, Ji Chang-wook. Like, Megan, just for the Ji Chang-wook episode, I won't even spoil it for you because I laughed so hard. But it's silly and fluffy and funny. And so all these actors are playing versions of themselves. To her, she's like, oh, my God, that's so-and-so the actor. But they end up being somebody who works at the company for some reason. Oh, my gosh, that's so reason. funny. And this is called, this is on YouTube? You Seven First Kisses, and it's on YouTube. Oh, my yeah, God, okay. That sounds really fun. That sounds it's, freaking adorable. Yeah. It's it's super adorable. Like I said, super fluff, but it's like what my heart needs right now yeah. because I'm emotionally I'm emotionally spent right. after Reply 1988, the <laughs> right. final episode. I'm not going to be over episode 20 for a really long time, so... Yeah, so super cute. Like the the way I'm watching it, it is it's got the English subtitles and it's all together, so it never breaks as an episode, but you can tell where the episodes are. But the Ji Ching Wook one is hilarious. No, I'll watch them all because I I love Oh, that's so great. Okay. Yeah. Do they actually kiss? So here's the thing. She hasn't kissed anybody yet. I'm on the third one. So it's been Lee Jun Gi, Park Hae Jin, and now Ji Cheng Wook. Because if you make it to the kiss, all of a sudden it resets and it's her birthday again and it's ah, the next guy. Okay. So I don't know if... So you, I haven't seen her kiss anyone yet. Like they're leaning in and all of a sudden she's just standing at the desk like with her lips puckered and the person's picture appears on the question mark and then oh it goes God. to the next one. I love it. Yeah. That's it's so super cute. cute. Yeah. I took a break from, as we said, I said at the beginning of the podcast, I took a break from while you were sleeping to watch All of Us Are Dead because I didn't want to be spoiled and I wanted to watch it immediately after it came out. I'm like, honestly, like bereft. Like after I finished All of Us Are Dead, I really liked it. <laughs> like a lot. Like I'm kind of like, I'm still not over it. I keep looking up like cast interviews. I keep searching the hashtag on Twitter just to see memes. I'm I'm just not over it. I'm not I'm not going to be over it for a while. That's basically what I got to say about that. I basically what I'm comparing it to is it's like cuz each it's 12 episodes and they're an hour long. It's like a 12 hour long train to Busan. That's basically what it's like. So there's definitely emotions, there's, you know, but it's even more in depth cuz you get to know the characters better. And so now I'm back to watching while you were sleeping, which I'm really enjoying. I just want to say I mentioned this to Amy and Leah in Slack. So my only like sort of issue now, like I was really enjoying the beginning, but my my issue now is that the way the story is unfolding is they're giving the viewer all these clues. Yeah, I always hate, I hate that. Yeah, before the characters are given the clues. So That's I'm putting, favorite. I'm putting all these pieces together before the characters are because they haven't been presented all the information mm. I have. And so I'm just kind of like, well, well, I already know now. And now I just have right. to wait for them to find out. It's yep. just not my favorite way to tell a story. So I will say I feel like they just wrapped up a little bit of a subplot. And maybe it was just going to be for that one. Like maybe they're going to keep us in suspense a little bit longer. But like I'm just going to give an example. Like 
the whole uh, premise is that she dreams in the future. So she can she dreams what's what's going to happen. And basically, she has dreams sort of like her death. Or what she thinks is her death. It's not it's like a right. little shady, you know. And basically, she's like lying on the ground and there's an umbrella next to her. It's this, it's this like distinctive green umbrella. Okay. And so she doesn't know what that means. But then they just showed the owner of the umbrella. Not to her. She doesn't know who owns mm-hmm. the umbrella. But like me as a viewer, well, now I just saw who had the umbrella. No, I don't know how the story is going to play out. But like, why did you show me the umbrella? Like, I want to find out when she finds out. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's the kind of thing that they're doing. It's just a frustrating way for me to watch a drama. Again, we'll see if it continues. I will let you know. I'm still liking it. It's just not necessarily my favorite now. Yeah. So, well, yeah. honestly, that was one of my gripes with, to a lesser degree, but still present in Lawless Lawyer, is I felt like we'd see the baddies making their move, mm-hmm. the goodies making their move, and then we'd watch it play out. And I was like, well, okay. <laughs> Yeah, you're like, I knew that was going to happen. Right. Dun, dun, dun. Like, there was no surprise. I just don't like that kind of story. But then Anoju was there, so you And then, yeah, my old man, Anoju, was there. Lee Jugi was hot. Whatever. It's fine. Yeah, it's hard because, like, again, I just came off from All of Us Are Dead, which everything was a gasp, a surprise. It was well done. (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? So, like, now I'm, like, going back to this drama, and I'm like, okay, well, now I knew... Like, who's killing cats? Like, that's another thing. There's cat deaths. It's one, oh, it's one way to hurt me. I am just getting back on uh, dramas, and I think I'm going to start again tomorrow. I'm giving myself one more day to, like, hang out and just, like, roll around in YouTube BTS videos. Just that's my thing, and don't judge me. I don't. You're allowed. I'm allowed. No one's. Do- no one's do- my time. My time. My time. <laughs> but <laughs> tomorrow I will jump back into drama watching, and I'm going to go into Our Beloved Summer. Nice. I Which can't wait to hear what you, yeah, what had you asked us it. to watch and do a pod on. So I've got okay. on the deck our beloved summer. I'm going to do red sleeve. I'm going to do my mister. It's going to be the February of angst. Yeah, and you're going to do all of us are dead eventually, right? You're gonna, and all you're of us gonna, are dead eventually. Try yeah. my zombie. Oh, and and we we're going to be watching a movie. I mean, just for funsies. Yeah, yeah. love and leashes. And we're going to talk about we're going to talk oh, about on the Patreon. Oh yeah, we are. We're going to um sorry, not even love and leashes. We're going to be doing subuck. Yep. Then we're going to rent on Vicky. We're going to pay for it. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how into this. Like, we've mm-hmm. been waiting for this. Like, Gong Yu and Park Bogum. Uh, Park yeah. Bogum. Like, come on. Yeah. And we'll be doing a pod on it that's going to be exclusively for our Patreon. So sign up if you want to hear us talk about it. And you can bing, also bing, get bing. all our past Patreon exclusive episodes. All right. Well, let's say it then. All right. Annyeong. Annyeong. 감사합니다. Thank you for listening to Afternoon of Delight. Where can you find us outside the pod? Head on over to AfternoonOfDelight.com. That's A-F-T-E-R-N-O-O-N-A-D-E-L-I-G-H-T dot com. You'll find links to all our social media, our book recs, K-pop and K-skincare recs, and if you want even more Afternoon of Delight, because really who doesn't, you can join our Patreon, where you can choose the patron level that's right for you. Join in daily K-drama conversations, listen to bonus podcast episodes just for patrons, and participate in our monthly live K-drama support group via Zoom. We can't wait for you to be a part of the community. Until next time, annyeong!